Amen. Thank you, Hugh. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Well, um, if you were here uh, last week, uh, you would have heard part one of this two-part mini-series within the series on, on stewardship. Last Sunday, Tom preached on the subject of West Ham United, his support for whom he honestly, but I think fairly accurately described as frustrating, embarrassing, and ultimately pointless. Uh, Almost literally pointless, actually, in the case of West Ham. (laughs) Now, to be fair, uh, I think his main point, uh, I don't think that was his main point, I think he moved on to the main point, which was uh, relying on football teams, uh, relying on our possessions, relying on our obsessions or anything, basically, in this material world around us, will inevitably lead to us being let down. And in Jesus' encounter with the rich young man, the idolatry of wealth was exposed by Jesus, And the lesson we learned was that anything that prevents Christ being in total control of our lives needs to be challenged and overcome. And this morning we're going to look at a bit more detail about the positive benefits of giving and the impact that generosity has on ourselves, on our others, on others and on our relationship with God. Now in in the reading that we've just had, we've just heard that God loves a cheerful giver. There you go, there's a lady being very cheerful We don't know if she's giving uh, or just given. Uh, But if ever there was a classic text for a a stewardship campaign, then this one has to be right up there among the favorites, doesn't it? Uh, I think that one observation, though, that we can make right here up front is that generosity in the Christian sense isn't really about magnitude and and, uh, and measurement. It's really very much about the spirit in which something is given. And to go back, I will go back for a moment to the footballing analogy. Uh, Now, my team, Manchester City, shown here in typical victory form. um, Tom. uh, My team, Manchester City, is one of the richest sports teams in the world. Uh, The billionaire owner, Sheikh Mansour, and his Abu Dhabi United organization have not only invested heavily in the on-field talent, uh, they've also spent a fortune in transforming the landscape in and around the stadium in East Manchester. They've established incredible sports facilities, uh, transportation network. They're even investing with the council in housing around the stadium that not that long ago was pretty much abandoned urban wasteland. They've spent billions of pounds on this so-called Manchester City project. And it's having a very positive impact on the local communities. Uh, but would we classify this as an act of generosity? I don't think so, no. The goal is quite clearly to buy success, to buy fame, to buy influence, and to have power on a global basis. In the meantime, City are winning football matches for the first time since uh, I was about six years old, so I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining right now. But I don't think we can classify this as generosity. So yes, God loves a cheerful giver. But this verse, or it's actually just part of a verse from from what we've just heard, uh, is part of a bigger and richer description of the generosity of God's kingdom, which we find in 2 Corinthians. And I want to start just by giving a bit of context to the reading, uh, this morning's reading. Now this this, um, uh, scripture here on the screen Uh, It's taken from 1 Corinthians 16, so it's the previous letter to the Corinthians. And it says this, Paul is writing uh, in his previous letter, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So the mother church in Jerusalem needed help. And Paul, writing here about a year earlier, had instigated this collection amongst the various churches that he'd helped establish. And it was part of his uh, a bigger plan, really, to unify the Jewish and the Christian uh, uh, family, uh, Jewish and Christian beg your pardon, Jewish and Gentile Christians to ensure that they understood that they were actually part of one family. But because of the various dysfunctions within the Corinthian church, and if you have any frustrations with St. Paul's at any time, I I would strongly recommend go and read 1 Corinthians if you want to know what a dysfunctional church uh, really looked like. Um, In fact, don't, because that might make you a bit smug and complacent. But anyway, it's a great description of of all sorts of things that were going on. Um, And because of this, the money collection had stalled. Um, And Titus now, on Paul's behalf, is going back to Corinth to complete the task. And if you read the chapter preceding today's reading in 2 Corinthians 8 and the beginning of 9, it's basically Paul persuading and cajoling the Corinthians to do what they'd committed to do and explaining how he would send Titus and a couple of the other disciples to make sure that they stepped up and delivered. And the tactics that he's used in this letter up to this point are really quite interesting because at one point he says that he's not commanding them to follow his instructions. Uh, but then does, he does pull a few, um, what we might say, uh, emotional and uh, psychological levers. He tells them how generous the Macedonian church has been. And this is, by the way, where Paul is writing this letter from, from Macedonia. How generous the Macedonian church has been, even though they are in extreme poverty. And Corinth, by contrast, was actually quite affluent. He flatters them saying how fantastic that they were the previous year when they were one of the very first churches to actually start this collection. And he also says how he's boasted to the Macedonians about how generous the Corinthians are uh, and basically how embarrassed he's going to be if he pitches up in a few months and the collection is still not ready to go. So that's, that's an interesting angle that he takes up to this point. But then in these verses that we've read, he kind of changes tack. And it's like Paul stops for a moment. Up to this point, he's been, he's been shining this light on an issue, like a torch beam. And at this moment in the scripture, it's almost like he throws back the curtains and the light comes flooding in. And he gets to the real heart of actually what he wants to say on this subject. You need to see the big picture, says Paul. I want to show you what it really looks like to be God's people. Where generosity isn't something that's awkward or calculated, or dutiful, it's as natural as breathing. It's a central and and essential, defining hallmark of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want, says Paul, to change the way you think about giving. So we're going to look briefly then at three ways that Paul makes this point to the Corinthians, and let's see what we can learn. And the first one is this, that generosity is a response to God's grace. Now, I'm going to play you, uh, I'm hoping that the, um, praying that the the DVD machine is going to work here. We're going to play you a clip from the old film Scrooge, based on Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Now, the scene you're going to see, I hope, uh, is right near the end of the film when Scrooge has already had his visitation from the spirits. He's already been transformed by his experience. He's now back in his office on Boxing Day, uh, waiting for Bob Cratchit to come in, who, of course, is late. Are we going to get this to run? 
Hatchet, you're late. Sir, what do you mean by coming in here at this time of day? Hmm? I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time, sir. Hmm. You are indeed. Step this way, Mr. Cratchit, please. It's only once a year, sir. It won't be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Well, we won't beat about the bush, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. Which leaves me no alternative but to raise your salary. <laughs> I haven't taken leave of my senses, Bob. I've come to them. From now on, I want to try to help you to raise that family of yours. If you'll let me. Well, we'll, we'll talk it over later, Bob, over a, over a bowl of hot punch. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, you, you just go and put some more coal in that fire. And you go straight out and buy a new coal scuttle. Isn't you do that before you dot another I, Bob Cratchit? <laughs> <laughs> Don't deserve to be so happy. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> Scrooge. Was I love that scene. I really love that scene. It's, here's a man who's been given this second chance. And in Christian terms, of course, we'd say he's been reborn. And you can just see the joy spilling out of him, can't you? And his response, look at that response. It is joyful generosity, cheerful giving, not just in monetary terms, raising Bob's salary, but also in his promise to help raise Tiny Tim and a commitment to caring and support. It is a spontaneous reaction to grace. And in verse 15, right at the end of our passage today, Paul writes this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His generous gift is Christ. And through Christ, we have new life. How should we do anything else? but respond with gratitude and be generous in turn. When we've been given everything, then everything that we have, everything that we are is his and should be used for his service. And what value can you possibly put on that in terms of time and talent and money? So today we celebrate harvest, the time of year when we give back to God the first fruits in thanksgiving and at the same time we help those in our community who are in need. But once a year at harvest is not enough, is it? I wonder how often during the year we really do sit down and count our blessings. I would love to have that overflowing response that we saw in the film clip to give Christ the credit for all that we have. So that's the first thing. Generosity is a response to God's grace. The second is this, that a generous nature is a result of God's grace. Now in verse 8 it says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So if God's nature is to be generous, then it makes sense that we too should seek to grow in generosity. So that by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit within us, transforming us, we are transforming into the character of Christ. Now, of course, this is a process. 
And Paul says very clearly that not everyone is in the same place. And that's why he says, he tells us, each person should give what he or she has decided to give in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But it's clear. I think it's very clear that generosity should be part of the DNA of every Christian. And it's something, therefore, that we should be praying for. Praying to become more generous, praying to become more Christ-like in how we look at what we give. Now, the saying, God loves a cheerful giver, is derived from Proverbs 22, verse 9. Now, if you look that up, you won't see quite the same. In the English translations, it doesn't quite come across the same, but Paul was certainly picking up on this. Uh, In verse 9 of Proverbs, it says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And Proverbs 22 has a number of other things to say about rich and poor, including that a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Overall, it's a chapter that provides a good portrait of how a godly person should be generous with their wealth. And and Paul knows he's making this reference. Paul was very smart in the way that he drew on uh, Scripture to be able to say more than he was actually saying in his letter. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look at this portrait of what a godly person looks like in relation to wealth and giving, and is that, that is something that you should look like. And of course, that question is, is challenging us today, ourselves. Are we growing in generosity? Is this a portrait that we see both of St. Paul's corporately and of ourselves individually? So that's the second thing. A generous nature is a result of God's grace. The third is that generosity blesses ourselves and others. Now, one of the lovely things about being a street angel, and those of you who have done it will know, is seeing the look of confusion and, some, and disbelief on people's faces when they ask you why you're out on Camberley High Street at 2 a.m. in the middle of January handing out flip-flops and space blankets. Do you get paid for this? No. Really? That's amazing. So why do you do it? Well, we're from all the churches in Camberley and we just want to show God's love to the community by looking out for people that need help. Really? That's amazing! (laughs) Street angels, we love you! That's a fairly typical uh, transaction out in the street. Actually, what's really amazing, what is really amazing is how we ourselves are blessed by those encounters, how God is honoured by the opportunity that we have to bring Christ into the community in the street, in the nighttime economy, and how those people, those young people now have an incredibly positive view of the church. Many of them will have a walk away with a positive view of the church and of Christians because a group of people have sacrificed a little bit of time on a Friday or Saturday night, sacrificed an evening in front of the telly to go and stand alongside them when they're too drunk to find their way to a taxi rank. And of course, the same is true for those of you who devote time to Beesom or Healing on the Streets, any other sacrificial service that is giving generously of your time or money. Um, I know Gail Brodie was telling me that the last collection day for Beesom at Waitrose, a young man came out of the store with his two young sons. They were each carrying a carrier bag full of stuff, as you've done this morning. They handed these bags to the team, and the man explained that he'd been given help when he needed it, when he was in deep need, and that help had got him back on his feet. And he was delighted to have the opportunity to help someone in the way that he'd been helped. And he wanted his sons to also know and understand the positive power of generosity. 
And that really is the amazing thing about generosity. In God's economy, it has this tendency to just multiply. It spills over. It has an impact on others that we may never, ever know about. In in the, the letter, in the scripture, Paul says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, referring to the collection that they're going to take to Jerusalem, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And then again, in the next verse, this service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. He goes on to say later, men will praise God for your generosity and will pray for you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. There's this multiplying effect, grace leading to generosity, leading to thanksgiving. It's a virtuous circle that's at the very heart of God's kingdom. And again, we have to ask the question of ourselves, why wouldn't we want more of that? Does that not sound good? So how do you think that we at St. Paul's rate as a church in terms of how generous we are? And I'm talking here about, in all senses, time, talent, finances. Well, okay, having acknowledged that generosity uh, is not something that's, uh, that, that is something that has to be measured from the heart rather than by the wallet or the clock, uh, there's no clear objective measure on this point. We are, I think, an affluent church overall, are we not? And as Tom said earlier, we do give away 25% as a church uh, to mission. I think that's a very commendable number. I think that's something that we, we should uh, continue to support. And every time that we've had an appeal, uh, I know that this church has really stood up. If you remember, even recently, the appeal for the church in Stockton-on-Tees when they came to see us, the recent gift day, the one-off appeal for support for Samara last year, uh, when we raised money and boxes full of clothing, we've just talked about how we're doing that now again. The Samara hospital appeal exceeded its target in monthly uh, commitments It's good that we do this. It is good that we do this. That's as a church, though. And only you, only you can really look inside yourself and know whether your personal contribution to this is appropriate. And as I say, last week, Tom, I know, covered some of those issues that we face individually about uh, negotiating our way into a, a, a right level of financial giving. Now, just finally... I I do want to say something, though, about our use of time, because it's been said, and I believe this to be true, that generally speaking, we are a materially rich, time-poor church. It's a very easy phrase to lob out there and say, somehow, this is a character of who we are. What does it really mean to be a time-poor church? Because the more you think about that phrase, the less sense it makes. God, in his infinite wisdom, has allotted 24 hours in a day and seven days a week to everyone on the planet, regardless of postcode, income, age, or social status. To be time poor, then, in relationship to our church family, simply means that we've decided to spend our time on other things. Now, those things may well be worthy, noble, and right. Or they may not be. And I know right now, personally, that I am hugely challenged uh, in this area. I'm hardly here during the week because my job demands that I spend a lot of time abroad. But that's my choice. I made the choice and continue to make the choice to do the job 
that I do. I also uh, made a note that there were eight weekends in a row over the summer when I wasn't around because of a whole variety of personal commitments. But they were my choices. I think this is a... I really feel strongly that God is saying that this is an area that collectively we need to look at really closely as a church. We need to examine our hearts and we need to think really carefully about what God's telling us about priorities. Because it does seem a shame, doesn't it, that we can finance hospitals in Syria, but we struggle to find enough people committing time to adequately cover our children's work or even fill a coffee rotor. So whether it's time or whether it's money or whether it's talent, we really do need to pray, I think, that that spirit, that gift of generosity, pray that we would respond to God's outpouring of grace to us. Pray that the Holy Spirit will transform us inwardly to be people for whom generosity is easy and not awkward, that it's natural. Pray that we're people who would sow generously so that what we reap blesses ourselves and others and results in more thanksgiving to God. And here's a question that I just want to end with. What would it look like for us as St. Paul's to be a community where grace, generosity, and thanksgiving were at the absolute heart of everything that we do? And perhaps, more importantly, what impact would that have on our ability to open up God's kingdom and bring God's kingdom to our friends and neighbors? Shall we pray? Lord, first of all, we want to thank you for every blessing that you bring to us. Thank you for opportunities to, uh, to say thank you for harvest today. And we can hand back something to you in thanksgiving. But I pray, Lord, that you will go deeper with each one of us. Speak into hearts that are here now and break hearts that need breaking. To see that what we have, we must hold lightly. To see that what we have is yours and must be used to your service. So, Lord, I'm not praying here for, for us to reach or think about necessarily a particular financial target, though it's easier for us to think in those terms. We're praying, Lord, that we as a church may know what it means to respond to your grace, respond with generosity, respond with thanksgiving, and become a beacon for our neighbors, our friends, and for this community of your people, people who are seen and known to be those who are generous so that your glory may come. Amen.